attending Calvin College, and our son is in ninth grade, living with my sister this year, as we're out of the UK for six months. Um, in in a very real sense, we come to you, I come to you, uh, Josephine as well, uh, as a as a weak man and a and a point of weakness in our uh, in our time here in our in my 48 years. That um, yeah, we're stretched. Or we've been in uh, our our earthly belongings have been in storage for over a year now. And uh, I was in Wichita last week. Josephine was in, in Jacksonville, Florida, and we're on the road for three weeks. Well, the next three months actually. But um, you know, I was thinking about that, and that's probably a good place to be when uh, for a preacher of the gospel, because it's not about me. It's not about my great words and great whatever. It's about God's glory. And so. Um, I, you know, hope I don't start crying while I'm <laughs> preaching to you or something, but or fall asleep with my jet lag. But um, that's where we are, and so I want to start with prayer because we need, I need prayer, um, and you need prayer that God's word would go forth. So let's let's uh, pray that He would join us uh, as we we're going to look at First Peter, uh, first couple verses there. Our Father, we come to you today. I come, as I just said, as a uh, a weak point. Um, out of sorts with uh, sleep and life and sort of regular what I'm used to. Um, and we pray, it puts me in a point of need, and that's a, a good place to be. Um, we need your spirit to show up. We need your spirit to show up with the words that I say and for your people to hear the gospel again. And so we pray, Lord, that you would uh, send your spirit. And that the next uh, moments we have together would be uh, touched by you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to look at uh, 1 Peter. As we say in England, we say 1 Peter. Here we say 1 Peter. I've had to get used to these little changes in terminology. Um, first, uh, just the first two verses uh, there. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. You know, my, um, my grandfather on my mother's side was a simple man who loved Jesus. He worked at a grain elevator and then was a maintenance man later in his life. Um, during his last year of life, cancer started eating away at his life, and I got a phone call. Uh, well, actually, it was Thanksgiving. I came down to, to see him in, uh, in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, and on Sunday afternoon when I was getting ready to go back to school, uh, he leaned over in his bed, and he said to me uh, in a quiet sort of voice, Chris, stay close to Jesus. And those were the final words. I didn't get to see him uh, again. Uh, we have before us in this letter of uh, 1 Peter and, and then 2 Peter, the final words of the Apostle Peter uh, to us. And a man like my grandfather, just a regular guy, a fisherman uh, who worked hard with his hands, but his life was touched by Jesus. And when Jesus met him, Jesus turned his world upside down. And after living with three years with Jesus, traveling with him, uh, Peter is designated as an apostle with the other disciples, as it says here in the first uh, line, an apostle of Jesus Christ. 
As you read this letter, if we had time, we could read the whole thing. Obviously, we won't do that. But you can imagine Peter is an old, wise man who's been through some hard times. But he's given us some things straight from Jesus that he's learned. He's writing down his final thoughts for those followers of Jesus. By the time he had written this, the Christians were starting to suffer some persecution at the hands of the Roman government. And it wasn't long after this that Peter himself was ex executed. But he had seen the gospel move around the, the Mediterranean during his lifetime. And this letter is written to uh, churches in what is now Turkey in uh, Asia Minor. And we have right here in this introduction, Peter sets the tone of what he's going to talk about as he moves along. But he talks about God being a missional God, gathering people together. But God is on a mission. He's a missional God. Peter says here, right in the beginning, to those he's writing to are the elect exiles. He doesn't say, uh, I'm writing to those people who love Jesus with all their heart. He doesn't say, you know, people who are trying real hard to be godly or something like this. Peter, no, lets us know right from the beginning who is it that is working in our lives. It's God. He's the one calling people to himself. Peter, he's he, very specific with his terminology here. The elect exiles. He is calling together. You know, have you ever helped a child learn to ride their bicycle? My kids are, you know, they're 19 and 15 now. They don't need my help very often. Except when payday comes or something like that. But, you know, when they were young, they wanted help. And so they're learning to ride their bike. And so I would, um, they would be on the bike and they would ride. And I would sort of jog behind, holding the seat up as long as I could. And after a block or two, they were like, look, Daddy, I'm riding my bicycle. Now, are they lying? Well, no, they were riding their bicycle. But Daddy was behind the scene, you know, holding the, the seat up. And if they started to tip... Uh, you know, he'd grab it a little tighter and keep them from like smashing their face on the street as it goes along. And in the same way, you think, look, everybody, I chose Jesus. You know, I'm a following Jesus. And that's true. I want you, if you haven't, you know, I want you to choose Jesus. But is that the full truth? In the reality, it's the Father who's calling, who's guiding along the way, like the human father, like myself, and holding my child up as they learn to ride that bicycle along. The Heavenly Father behind the scenes, guiding us, so to speak, and keep us from crashing our lives into the pavement. We see this in relationships in London again and again, as God weaves our lives together in ways for, with people who were not looking for Him. There's a guy from Iraq that we met at a job as he came for job training. There's a Malaysian lady I talked about during the Sunday school class who came in looking for a cup of tea at the church when we opened up the doors. There's a Sri Lankan young woman who came to volunteer for our homeless dinner that we do. But the next thing they know, they're in contact with Christians, they're hearing the gospel, and God is slowly drawing people to himself. It says here in verse 2, that the followers of Jesus are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. 
Now, down through history, there's been a lot of controversy and questions and theologians have argued exactly what does this mean? Does God look into the future and say, oh, you know, that Chris Hatch guy, he is going to choose me. And so I will choose him. And, you know, Chris Hatch is so wonderful that I want him on my team and I'm so happy. No, that's not what God does. God looks, the Bible teaches consistently He doesn't look in the future to see what I will do or what you will do. God looks in the future to see what he will do. God's foreknowledge refers to knowledge of his covenant love placed on his people. We see that in Psalm 139. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. We have the passage in Romans 9 from Paul. It states, in order that God's purpose in election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. God loves you fully, not because of what you've done, good or bad, but he loves you because he loves you. And he's placed his covenant love upon you. There's no objective. You're not better than other people. You're not like a really good-looking guy or lady and really nice, and so he wants you on his team. You didn't earn it. This doctrine of election is wonderful. And it also has a huge impact as we think about evangelism. As I look at the people of Shepherd's Bush, our London neighborhood, extremely diverse, Just people from all over the world have found themselves in Shepherd's Bush. But every one of them is a gospel target, so to speak, for us. There's no one who's outside the potential of God grabbing them. So every homeless guy who's Polish and came to London looking for work and now is drinking too much Russian vodka, that guy can be grabbed by the Father. Every Hindu, every Muslim woman, every atheist, every cultural Christian, it doesn't matter, all these people mixing themselves in our neighborhood. None of them beyond the hand of God that can draw them to himself. And when you think about your family and friends, I know it's easy to think about, oh no, there's no way that person could ever come to Christ. I know my boss, my grandfather, my whatever, whatever. No, it's not our business to decide who God is going to call. God is the one calling people to himself, pouring his love onto his children for no reason, but they've earned it. Secondly here, as we move through this introduction, you notice that the work of the Father, the Spirit, and Jesus working together. We see all through Scripture The Trinitarian, the Trinity, three persons, one God, committed to the common purpose of bringing a scattered people into a new relationship with God and with each other. Peter mentions here the sanctification of the Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is not the force in Star Wars, you know, some vague spirituality out there or something. No, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is a person equal with the Father and the Son, who can take action, has emotions. Ephesians 4 talks about not grieving the Spirit. You don't grieve a force that's out there. No, you grieve the person of the Holy Spirit. Persons that the, the Holy Spirit is at work in this world. And what does that look like? 
on a most basic level, the Spirit is making us more like Jesus. That's that big word, sanctification, that theologians we like to discuss. But if you get it down, what does it mean? It's making us like Jesus. Jesus showed us what does it mean to be human. He's a lot more than an example for us. I know that, and I'll get to that. But what does it mean to be a human being? We look to Jesus. And as the Holy Spirit works in our lives, He is making us, conforming us into the image of Christ. And it's not all of a sudden, it's over time, but that is what the Spirit is doing in that sanctification. Now it happens in two ways. In the beginning, the work of the Holy Spirit is the one who gives you a new heart. And so the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to this work of Jesus. And it's like, wow. And I've had people tell me, you know, I, I never heard any of this stuff. And all of a sudden, bam, it all makes sense now. It's like the blinders have been taken off. You know, we've had um, a, a friend of mine. He was uh, 17. He's uh, from Somalia. And Somalia is the most Muslim nation on earth. There's more higher percentage of Muslims in Somalia than in Saudi Arabia. Um, he was uh, visited, you know, walking by a table with some literature, Christian literature, and somebody gave him a, a thing about Jesus, a track about Jesus, and he crumpled it up and threw it in the trash can, the, the rubbish bin, as we'd say. Um, and, you know, a little while later, for some reason, he said, I went back and I dug that thing out of the rubbish bin and read it. He's now was baptized a year or so later, has been a follower of Jesus for 10 or more years. Married to an Austrian woman, lives uh, in Europe now. Was he expecting this? No. The Spirit grabbed his heart. Of another man uh, early on in our days in London, um, he as well met some of our, our friends, uh, Sikh man, 80 something years old. You know, Sikh's big beard, big turban, that sort of thing. Been Sikh sort of all his life from India. Um, but he got to talking with him and said, I want Jesus to be my guru. And he was baptized in his early 80s. And I remember talking to Caleb. My son was five years old when we moved. And he's like, Daddy, do you think Papa G can wear his, that was what we called him, Papa G. Um, do you think Papa G can wear his turban in heaven? And I was like, man, they didn't teach me that at Covenant Seminary. I don't know uh, if he can wear his turban in heaven. I don't know. Probably, I guess. He's worn it all his life. God is working. And we don't know where he's going to touch, where he's going to grab people from around the world, open their eyes in ways. But you know what? The Spirit is also continually working in our lives to perfect us slowly but surely into this image of Jesus. We're not perfect. Christians aren't perfect. And you get any notion that Christians won't hurt you and Christians won't sin against you. You get that out of your mind. Because followers of Jesus are messed up. We are. We're a messed up group. And if you hang around Christians for a while, you will learn this. But the thing is, we know it. Or we should. But little by little, the Spirit is changing us. Working through us. To perfect us. But as we come to grips with the fact that we're not perfect, the Spirit is at work. It allows us the ability to be honest with one another 
and to come to our brothers and sisters and repent and say, you know what? Spirit's not done with me. I'm struggling here. I've sinned against you. I did this or that. We don't have to live hypocritical lives and look like we're all fresh and shiny and perfect. No way. And as we live in this world, I live in London. Our world is dying for authentic people who follow Jesus and who are real with their struggles and with their pains and with their mistakes. The world is watching us. It's not the arrogant, the prideful, the know-it-all Christians who are you know, making friendships with the Muslim community, the atheist or whatever. No, it's the honest, the humble followers of Jesus who have experienced the grace of God and who live differently from their neighbors, who open up their homes, open up their hearts, have conversations, drink cups of tea. That's attractive to people. Because I live in a city that is lonely when it's dark and cold and wet, and its people are dying for relationships that are real, not fake. When you know the Spirit is working in you, you can be honest with others around you. You can lay yourself out in ways that is attractive to others. Finally here, Peter says that God's elect have been elected for obedience to Jesus. You've been chosen for a purpose. And not to just twiddle your thumbs until God takes you to heaven or something like this. No. You've been chosen right now for obedience to Jesus. When you come to Christ, you are not your own. When you say yes to Jesus, you are submitting your life to King Jesus. You're giving up control of your life. You've been given a new heart by the Spirit, and He is slowly working. He's going to change even the desires of your heart. The Bible's clear about this. 1 John, 1 John 3, 24 reads, Those who obey His as Jesus' commands live in Him, and He in them. And this is how we know that Jesus lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. We know that we're a child of God because our lives have changed. You know, occasionally I've had a, uh, a young man uh, come up to me or say, Hey, Chris, we need, can I talk to you a little bit? I'm in love uh, with a woman. You know, I, I found this great girl. And he usually is seeking advice for the future of his relationship and how it should work out or something like that. But you know what? I've never had a guy come up to me and said, Hey, Chris, you know, I found this great girl and I think she's the perfect one. And I, I want to spend time with her, and I want to talk to her and get to know, know her better. But you know what? She is so annoying. And I just, you know, it just, you know, it makes the skin crawl when I'm with her. You know, I've never had a 25-year-old guy tell me something like that. No. When a guy is in love with a girl, and when he decides to pursue her, he's not coming up. He does not come to me and say, how can I work myself up to get a desire to love this girl, to, to spend time with her? No, he's like, I want to spend, you know, my, my studies are going down the toilet because I want to spend so much time with her. I can hardly get out of bed because I spent up so night talking on the phone or spending time with her or whatever. 
I love this girl. I can't get, you know, I want to be with her all of my life. If you love God, the Spirit is at work. You're going to have a, you're going to have a desire, a deep desire to please Him. And maybe you need direction, and maybe you, know, you, be, you need encouragement. Obviously, we're in process. But you don't have to work up that desire. That desire is there. The Spirit is at work in your life. And yes, there's struggles, of course. And you, you fall, and you hate, why did I do that? I can't believe it. Of course, that is the Christian life. Repentance and faith. We have struggles, but we are in process. But what does it mean to be obedient to Jesus? Back in 1 John, again, the writer tells us, and this is God's command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, to love one another as he commanded us. Believe in the name of Jesus and love one another. Loving one another, that makes sense, I think. We can understand that. But what does it mean to believe in the name of Jesus? I think it's similar to what Peter is referring to here in the last uh, uh, um, phrase in this section, that we are set apart for sprinkling with his blood. The phrase uh, is unusual in the New Testament, but it refers to back in Leviticus 14, which describes the process for a leper to become to be declared clean. And if a person had a skin disease in Old Testament Israel, they would be set outside the community, obviously for health hygiene reasons. But if that person was uh, had become better, he was allowed to come to the priest, and the priest would inspect him and you know check his skin and see if he was clean. And if the skin was clean, the priest would sacrifice a bird. And the blood from that sacrifice would be actually sprinkled on that man or that woman who had been declared clean by the priest. Now, can you imagine the joy of that person to come back to their family, to come back to their home and say, look at me. I'm clean. I've got the blood. I've been sprinkled. I've been declared clean. In the same way, if your trust is in Jesus, you've been sprinkled with the blood. You've been declared. Your sin has made you unclean, but you've been declared clean by the Father. And you can return home with joy. Remember my grandfather's last words. Stay close to Jesus. You got no other hope. You got nothing in this life. And it may be the first time for you. It may be you heard this a million times. You come back again and again to Jesus on a daily basis because we're in process repenting and placing your faith in Jesus, that the blood covers you. And you know what's going to happen? It's going to change your desires, and he's going to carry you out on mission. As the Spirit changes you, he's going to 
work in you because God's agenda is to draw the nations to himself. And it may be your family members. It may be your co-workers. Who knows? God's going to call you somewhere else. Maybe he's going to call you like Josephine and I to move to a completely different place for the rest of your life. I don't know. But as we stick close to Jesus, we're going to be on mission because God is on a mission. Because we know that according to the foreknowledge of the Father, by the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus, we've been sprinkled with the blood. Let us pray. Jesus, we come to you today with thanksgiving. We don't deserve to be in relationship with Almighty God, our Creator. We are wicked. We are sinful. We, we've messed up in so many ways. But you've been merciful. and You laid down your life on the cross so that we could have life. I pray for my brothers and sisters here that they would understand that deeply day in, day out that their desires would change by the power of the Spirit, and you would give them boldness and confidence to know that you are calling them on mission right here in Clarksville or wherever you would take them. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen.